Good morning once again, everybody. My name is Alan. So good to be with you in the house. And uh, so thankful you are here. So thankful you are here online. Welcome once again. Hey, if, uh, if you and I had the opportunity to go for coffee sometime and you sat down across from me and you became curious or interested and just wanted to know, Alan, how did you become a pastor? Well, I could respond, again, if you were interested, I could respond and say, well, I started off my college journey in engineering with the plans to be an engineer, and I changed my major to education with plans to be a teacher in high school teaching mathematics and physics. After I graduated from college, I did a one-year internship at a church in Washington, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., and I realized that I did not have much of an understanding of theology, so I did a three-year graduate program in Indiana, after which I began full-time ministry. And then at that point, you might go, oh, 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 thank you for sharing. I appreciate that, Alan. Or if you and I went and sat down for coffee and you asked me, Alan, how did you become a pastor? And I might look at you and say, how does anyone become anything, really? I mean, I mean, how, how, what makes someone a pastor and someone else not a pastor? Is it education? Is it that they actually get paid to do an occupation? Or does it have nothing to do with those things? Is it a declaration that some group or entity declares that some person is a pastor and somebody else is not a pastor? Or is it after a certain set of actions that one, one goes through and that determines whether or not someone is a pastor? How can you even know if I'm a pastor or not? At which point you might respond by going, yeah, I'm, I really got to be somewhere. Uh, I'm, I forgot about a meeting that I had with a, a different crazy person. Or if you and I sat down for coffee and you were once again curious enough to ask me, I said, Alan, how did you become a pastor? I might say, well, the summer before I graduated from college, I viewed that as my, my last summer of freedom. And so I found a place in Indiana that was doing a youth camp for the whole summer, not just for a week, but the whole summer. And so I went to that camp and volunteered my time as a camp counselor uh, for that whole summer. And one of the kids in my cabin was a guy named Kevin who was mean and angry and nasty, young kid in high school who did not want to be there. And then over the summer, I watched this young man starting to laugh with these new friends that he had that originally he wasn't interested in whatsoever. And over the course of the summer, I watched this young, nasty, mean guy starting to, to have tears in his eyes and sob as he shared with us his story about how difficult his life had been. And then by the end of that summer, I saw this young man commit his life to Jesus. And, and so that, my, that experience made me say, I wanna do this for the rest of my life. I, I don't care how, where I live. I don't care how much I get paid. I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't care what my education has been. This is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. There are different ways to tell a story. There are different ways for you to tell your story. If someone wanted to go out for coffee with you and they, say, they sat down with you and they said, 
I know you go to church. I know you faithfully watch church online and you engage with church online. Why do you do that? What, 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 why are you so committed to this whole Jesus thing? What is this Jesus thing all about? If someone sat down with you and asked you any of those questions, are you prepared to respond? Are you prepared to tell your story? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that your story is glorious. Your story that we read, that we hear, that we enjoy, it is an incredible story. And what I think is the most amazing part of it is that the story is not finished and you invite us into that story, that each and every one of us here have a part to play in that story. We are thankful for that. We wanna be reminded of that and how you wanna use our stories here today. In your son's name we pray, amen. Last week, Don Doe was speaking. I know, we love Don. We love every, everybody loves Don. I know, I get it, I get it, I get it. I get it. And he started a, a short series uh, that we are in right now called Taking the Stand. Uh, what we're doing in this series is we are looking at one of the essential roles. If you have your journal, I invite you to turn to pages 10 and 11. At home, I invite you to turn in your journal to pages 10 or 11. This is a list of what we identify as the nine essential roles. It's an attempt for us as a church to help us understand what does it mean to realize our role in God's story? These are 10 universal roles. And this series, Taking the Stand, is all about the ninth and final role on this list, our role as witness. And here's how it's described here in this book. We have a story to tell. Witnesses do not describe what others have seen or heard. They share what they have personally experienced. The most compelling and inspirational story we can tell is our own. In a court of law, when someone takes the stand as a witness, they don't have to be an expert about every aspect of the case. That they don't have to, they are not going to be asked questions to identify the DNA evidence and the significance of it because they're not a forensic scientist. If a witness takes a stand, all he or she is expected or required to do is share what they have seen or heard. They are not expected to be a witness about everything about the case. They simply need to say what they have seen or heard. Last week, Don talked about this great story in John chapter nine, where a blind man received his sight and he was challenged by the religious people around him saying, who did this? Who did this? When was this done? How was this done? I love the story from John chapter nine, where this blind man who now has his sight is walking around going, and literally it says in the story, he says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I, know, I don't know who did it. I can't explain the whole thing. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. All he can do as a witness is say what he has seen and heard. So what we're talking about today is the importance of preparing us as witnesses. Preparing the witness. That's you and that's me. If we have the opportunity 
to share the hope that is within us, are we prepared to do so? I want to take a look this morning at just a few verses in the book of Mark. The New Testament begins with four versions of the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. I invite you to turn there. On, uh, at home, I invite you to go get your Bible and, and, and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark is the shortest of all the gospel writers. And for those of you who are like my dad, who believe that the greatest sermons are the shortest ones, you might be attracted to the book of Mark. He's, he is a get-to-the-point kind of guy. Uh, we're going to take a look at verse 16 in chapter 1. And by verse 16 in chapter 1, Jesus is born, he is raised, and he has been baptized. Mark is like the yada, yada, yada gospel writer. Okay, so he jumps right in. Chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now in these wonderfully famous words of Jesus, most of us are familiar with these words. I think there's an important question to ask. Does Jesus give this metaphor of fishing simply because these two brothers are fishermen? Or is he giving a metaphor that is universal, that is for all of us? In other words, if Jesus had come across two brothers who were accountants, might he have said, come follow me and, 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 and I will send you out to balance people? If Jesus had come across two brothers who were plumbers, might he have said to them, come follow me and I will send you out to unclog people. <laughs> might he have said that uh, to them? Most people would, would, would agree, and I think most of us here in this room would agree, that Jesus wasn't just saying this metaphor for those two guys 2,000 years ago, but that this is a metaphor that is for all of us, that Jesus didn't just say, to Simon and Andrew, come follow me. But he is saying to us, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. If that's true, if this is a universal thing that God is not just saying to them, but saying to all of us, what does this metaphor mean? To fish for people. How many of you like fishing? Fishing, fishing, okay. Oh, quite a bit, quite a few f fisher people. Okay, good, okay. Um, uh, it, is, uh, it is most people who fish are men. Uh, I didn't kind of check the hands, but uh, there are a growing number of women who are interested in fishing. But historically, most people who are interested in fishing are men, perhaps because the number one rule of fishing is no talking. <laughs> and so a father and a son can spend all day fishing together and not have to say a word to one another. And so there's some kind of, a, there's some kind of appeal to that. Now, now, um, I went fishing one time 10 years ago, back in 2010. And for those of you who were part of our church 10 years ago, you would have heard me come back and share this story some time back, but I will share it this morning briefly. Anyway, 
I, I was deep sea fishing. The one time I went fishing was deep sea fishing in Cabo. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with that, basically all deep sea fishing is, is you sit on a boat drinking soda, waiting for that little line to, to bob. Then you hop into the seats and you do whatever they tell you to reel the thing in. After a significant amount of work, I pulled in an 11 foot blue marlin, over 480 pounds. Boom, my one time fishing. Now, I obviously don't know much about fishing. I know nothing about fishing. But it seems to me, based on the information that I have, that fishing is, is becoming easier and easier. Fishing, as, as, a, as a human experience, is becoming easier and easier. The rods are better. The lures are better. We have computers. You've all seen these computers on boats. That, 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 they have them on the boat, and it'll tell you how many fish of what size are underneath the boat at what depth. And so all of this technology, et cetera, makes fishing easier. I'm, I went fishing one time. My average size of fish per outing right now is 11 feet. <laughs> anybody, anybody compare to that at this point? Okay, so it seems to me, based on my limited understanding of fishing, that fishing has gotten easier, but fishing for people has gotten more difficult. It is a trickier and trickier thing. 200 years ago here in this country, there was something called the Great Awakening, where there was this movement across this new developing collection of colonies where preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield were, were traveling around the country and gathering thousands of people in these revivals and they would have tents and they were targeting people who were more in rural settings and people would gather and travel for great distances to come be part of these revivals and thousands upon thousands of people were giving their lives to Jesus as a part of this great awakening movement. But it seems that more and more people are becoming more skeptical. Skeptical and there's an increasing distrust of leaders, of public figures, of politicians, of evangelists, whatever an evangelist might look like now, of preachers, those who want to share this gospel, share this news. There's an increasing distrust. And unfortunately, it is merited. <laughs> and it is tragic there is, a, there, there is a, a, a shift that many of the fish that Jesus is, is wanting us to fish for to invite into this grand, incredible story are no longer fishing in shallow waters looking for hope and purpose, looking for someone to, to help them understand what this story is all about and that they have a role to play in this story. But instead, many are swimming. Many fish are swimming in deep, cold dark waters. And so what are we to do about that? We can stand at the edge of our boat and get angry and yell at the fish because they're not doing the right thing. They're not swimming in the right place. Or maybe we can shift what we're doing and we could fish differently. Maybe we can be more prepared to take the stand to tell our story. Jesus says we are to fish for people, not hunt for them. 
Can you tell your story in a way that is alluring? Are you prepared and ready to, are you prepared as a witness to tell your story in a way that is alluring and inspiring and interesting? Oftentimes believers will say, I'm not comfortable with witness. I'm not comfortable with the whole concept of being a witness because I don't have all the answers. I'm gonna get stumped. I don't understand why there's so much violence in the Old Testament. I read it myself and I wince at some of the chapters in the Old Testament. I go, I cannot explain that. I don't understand that. That God just seems inconsistent with some of the stories in the New Testament. Or I, I can't explain why Jesus had to die on a cross. Why didn't Jesus just come and teach a new way of doing life and then provide us with an opportunity to have a restored relationship with God and then just float up into heaven? Why did he have to die? Why did there have to be so much blood? I can't explain that. So because I can't explain that, I can't be a witness for Christ. Some might say that, forgetting that a witness takes the stand not with the expectation to be an expert about everything, but a witness takes the stand simply to share what they have seen and they have heard. Because the most compelling thing, the most alluring thing you can share is your story, is what you have seen and you have heard. People don't want, people are not interested in your answers. They're interested in your story. It doesn't mean that answers are irrelevant. It doesn't mean that theology is irrelevant. Absolutely not. That, that we, we what, what happens is we, we need to start with our story and then we can add theology onto that. Start with your story. What, what I was blind, but now I see. What is your story? And then we read and we study, and we're in groups, and we have conversations, and we ask questions, and we wrestle with things. That's called the theological journey. That's called the development, the discipleship journey. Start with your story and build theology onto that. People aren't interested in your answers. They're interested in your story. So if someone came up to you this week and said, hey, can we have some coffee? I wanna just, I wanna just spend some time with you. And then they asked you, why do you go to church on a regular basis? Why is Sunday morning important to you? Why do you connect online on Sunday morning? Why is this Jesus stuff so important to you? Are you prepared to answer? If you are, if you would be excited about that opportunity, Fantastic. Then this morning, I'm just reminding you of the beauty and the power of our roles as witnesses taking the stand to represent the story of Jesus. If you're not prepared for that kind of encounter, let me just ask you a few questions here today before I wrap up. And we're done. A few questions and we're done. Question number one. Are you a follower of Jesus. This obviously is really important because I'm not asking if you grew up in the church. I'm not asking you if your parents were Christians. I'm asking you if you realize 
that Jesus did not just say, come follow me to those two brothers who were fishing, but Jesus says to each and every one of us, come, follow me. And we have to respond to that invitation. Either we respond yes or we pass. So, first question, are you a follower of Jesus? Is there a moment, is there a season, is there a part of your journey where you said yes to Jesus as Lord and you are a follower of Jesus? If you are not sure about that one or you want to make sure that you are a follower of Jesus, then I invite you after this to come up and, ha- and talk with me. The, uh, I will, I'm gonna be up here, the prayer team's gonna be up here, and we would love to talk with you more about what that means. If you're online, please give a note on the side or let us know, we would love to follow up with you in terms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Question number one, are you a follower of Jesus? Question number two, who were you before you chose to follow Jesus? What were you like? Who were you? I invite you to reflect on that later on or just right now, let whatever thoughts, words come to mind, maybe one or two or three words just come to your mind. Who were you? How would you describe yourself before you chose to follow Jesus? Question number three, who are you now? How have you been affected by your relationship with Jesus? However you describe yourself before you knew Jesus, how has that changed because of Jesus? Again, you can reflect on that later or just see if a word or two come to your mind right now. as you think about your responses to those three questions, how would you fill in the blanks for I once was blank, but now I'm blank? What is your version of I once was blind, but now I see? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blank, Who were you before you chose to follow Jesus? But now I'm blank. Jesus has made me something else. That is your story. That is your witness. That is what you have personally seen and heard. When you take the stand, are you prepared to share that story? Are you prepared to identify what Jesus has done in your life? If somebody wanted to know what your story is, where your hope comes from, are you prepared to share it with them in an alluring way? Would you pray for me? Pray with me. Father, first of all, I thank you for the stories represented here in this room.
represented with those who are watching at home, represented with any who are watching this at any time. As we are being stirred up by this, God, we thank you for the stories here in this room, for the transformation stories of people who have, who have gone from blindness to sight, from being lost to being found, from blank to blank because of you and your grace and your power and your love. We thank you for those stories. And so, Father, we ask today that you would use those stories, that you would use us as your witnesses. Father, that there would be an opportunity this week for us to be able to share this story with a friend, with a coworker, with a family member, that we would be able to share, I once was blank, but now I'm blank. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.